Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Uh, so we're in a series, and it's the end of the series called Hidden Hope. And this series is all about um, it's all about hope, and it's all about seeing hope in the Old Testament through prophecies of Jesus and actually uh, appearances of Jesus. And this spoke hope into the Israelite people, God's chosen people in the Old Testament. Um, but it, also, it can also speak into what hope looks like today for us and what it means for us to have hope. So we've been tracking this series um, and I think we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about what it means to hope about God's character and about who Jesus was and why he is hope. And today... We're uh, looking at a story of three men who have a choice to make. Uh, And they have a choice to either choose to worship God, to stand for God, to stand up for him. Or they can choose to bow down to a statue that this king has made and serve the gods of the Babylonians and his idols. And what I want to say today is that we have... A choice. Every single day we make decisions, big and small, and in those decisions we can choose to follow Jesus, we can choose to worship Jesus, or we can choose not to. We can choose to worship, to submit ourselves to, to come under something else and bow down to something else. And as this series is about hope, so that's what we're going to be speaking about. And as this series is about hope, towards the end, we're going to look, we're going to go through the story and look at actually um, where Jesus is in this story. What happens when we make that decision to boldly choose to bow down to God, to stand for Him, and to worship Him? Okay. So Daniel set. So to to get a bit into the world of Daniel and to really understand where this story is going and where we're at in the story, we need to know a bit about the background to it. We need to know what's going on in the world at the time, who the Israelites were, who Daniel was, and where they find themselves. So, Daniel is set during the Israelite exile in Babylon in Babylonia. The Israelites, they were God's chosen people, and uh, they, were, they were chosen by God to represent him on earth and to be the, the nation, the people who he would uh, live among. So uh, Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, and the temple was there, and God lived in that temple among his people. And um, Israel, they went through this pattern of uh, turning away from God and his ways, and then repenting and turning back to him and saying, oh, you're powerful, we love you. Turning away, turning back. And they they were heavily influenced by a lot of the practices of the nations around them. Uh, Injustice, it came to a point where injustice was rife, um, where the poor and the marginalized, they were impressed when the rich were getting richer, and God had had enough. And they had turned away from God for a long period of time. They had a number of kings who just didn't follow God. They weren't interested in what he had to say. And they weren't interested in following his ways. And uh, God chose prophets. 
uh, like we saw last week with Ezekiel and people like Micah, Jeremiah, um, Isaiah. And he, he, he used these prophets to be his voice to Israel saying, turn back to God, repent, come back to him, turn from your ways. But they didn't listen. And this is where the Babylonians come in. Now the Babylonians, they were a incredibly, they were one of the most powerful nations that the world has ever seen. Um, they were prolific in war. They were savage. Um, they had sacked many cities and defeated many nations before this. And they decided to set their sights on Israel. So they turn up at Jerusalem and they lay siege to the city. And eventually they sack the city. Um, they destroy all of the, the important buildings, all of the sacred buildings. They take all of the uh, golden items out and everything out of their temple, Israel's temple, which was like the heart of the nation. They destroy the temple and they carry the Israelites off to Babylon, uh, to Babylon where they would keep them as slaves. And Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these, uh, these were four Israelite lads. And as they were being carried off to Babylonia, um, the Babylonians, they saw them and they saw potential in them. So they said, okay, we're going to train these guys to, we're going to train them up for a number of years so they can serve in the king's palace. So they trained them up. And as they were being trained, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon at the time, he had this dream. Um, and he got his astrologers and all of his people, um, his magicians and all that, to come and interpret this dream, but none of them could have. So he flew into a rage and he said, I'm going to kill you all then. I'm going to kill all of my officials, all of the people that work for me, including Daniel and his friends. So the executioner comes to Daniel's room and he says, mate, I'm going to have to kill you, I'm sorry. And he says, well, why? He said, well, it, Nebuchadnezzar's had this dream that no one could interpret. Um, uh, and so he's, he flew into a rage and he's going to kill everyone. Great. Daniel said, I think I know a God who could actually interpret this for Nebuchadnezzar. So he prays, gets the interpretation, comes before Nebuchadnezzar, interprets, interprets the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. And he, um, he uh, promotes Daniel to the position of ruler over Babylon. And Daniel says, well, I've actually got three mates as well who are pretty handy. Would you be able to like promote them as well. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also get promoted to these positions of uh, administrators in the region of Babylon. And this is where we pick the story up today. So King Nebuchadnezzar, after seeing God work in incredible ways and interpret this, interprets this dream, he flies off the handle a bit and he decides to build this massive golden statue 90 foot high, nine feet wide. It was about as high as six double-decker buses. And it probably is probably the, the shape of a human. It was probably an image of a human. And it was gold-plated or it was solid gold. And he sets this thing up in this plane called Jura where everyone can see. And then he summons uh, his officials, his, count, his counselors, his um, treasurers, uh, the astrologers, all of the, the officials that work for him. He brings them to this plane before this massive image. And it's quiet. People are wondering what's going on, what he's going to say. And then his herald gets up. His herald says, listen up, everyone. As soon as you hear the, the lyre, the harp, the zither, all these kinds of music, what you are commanded to do is to bow down, is to turn to this statue. It is to bow down and it is to worship this statue. And if you refuse to do this, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. We're going to execute you. So of course everyone does it. No one wants to be 
executed. They bow down. They do what he says. And this is where we pick up the story today. So we're in Daniel 3. And I'm going to read from verse 8. So if you've got your Bibles, Daniel 3, verse 8 to 15. It says, But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zithalia, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered them to be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace and then what God will be able to save you. Who is the scariest person you know? Some of you might know some pretty scary people. I know some scary people. I don't think they'll compare to Nebuchadnezzar. This is a guy who is in charge of the most powerful nation in the world. They've sacked many cities. They've defeated nations. He has absolute authority to do what he wants to who he wants. And these three have been brought before him because they've disobeyed a direct order from the boss. They've humiliated him. They've bruised his ego. His leadership has been put into question because they've refused to bow down to this statue and this idol like everyone else has been doing. They've refused to conform And he has to get these three guys back in line. He has to establish his authority and get them back in line. Otherwise, he'll be embarrassed. Otherwise, otherwise his reputation will be on the line. So he gives them a second chance. He says, okay, I know you've done this, but if you actually bow down now, I'll let you go. But if you don't, I'm going to have to kill you. So they have a choice. They choose to worship their God, the God they know, and be executed, or bow down to this idol, bow down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up and serve the gods of the Babylonians. What are they going to do? Now I know quite a good number, quite a number of reasons and good reasons why they could just bow down. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is bowing down. So it can't be that bad, surely. Or they could just bow down and it be an empty ritual. They don't actually mean it. They don't mean what they're doing. They could even use it as an opportunity to pray as they do it. Or uh, they could have argued that actually it's right that um, some Israelites are in these high positions of authority in the Babylonian kingdom because we need people lobbying for the rights of our people um, during this exile. So it's actually probably right that we just bow down and keep these positions. So what do they do? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, 
O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. They've counted the cost. They know it could mean their death. They know God can save them, but might not necessarily save them and deliver them from the uh, fiery furnace in this situation. Yet they still choose God. They have the choice. Choose God and go to their death or choose to serve the gods of the Babylonians and bow down to this image and they choose him. What does this look like for us today? What does this decision look like? Because in one sense, it's quite an alien situation for us. We don't live in a country where our faith is illegal. We don't live in a country where we have to worship these state-sponsored gods and uh, statues. But we do have choices to make. And what this passage helps us, what this passage confronts us with and what issue this passage um, faces us with is the fact that every single day we have choices and we can choose to bow down to God, matrix, we can choose to bow down to God and worship God or we can choose to submit to, worship, come under another thing and deny God. And it's quite a hard truth. And these boys, they were faced with quite a black and white decision. They were faced with this in quite a clear way. Because if they bowed down to the uh, image and the Babylonian gods, they would clearly be denying their God. They'd be submitting to a different authority. They'd be worshipping a different bunch of gods. And they would have clearly denied God. And I think... There's some decisions that we face which can be quite similar to this, where they're quite black and white. It's either this or that. It's either God or something else. When I was, uh, well, a few years ago, I had had a period of my life where I turned away from God. And it was my late teens and into my 20s. Um, and, you know, it was a time where uh, I could drink, I had freedom, I was at uni and just before uni, so I'd drink a lot and I'd drink quite heavily, quite regularly. And uh, at the end of my second year, I decided to give my life back to God. Um, but it took a lot longer for me to choose Jesus with drinking each time, to choose Jesus over drink each time. And uh, this came to a head where it was on my birthday one year. Um, and I always struggled on my birthdays because people buy you drinks and I like to say yes. So my birthday was coming up um, and I was faced with that choice of I can either choose Jesus or I can go down that path and choose drink. And I was a leader in the church at this time. I was doing my internship with, with students uh, and I was supposed to be leading people. And that night I chose to go down that path. I chose drink. 
and I did some stupid things and got very drunk. And in the morning, I woke up and I felt so convicted and awful. And that was one of the moments in my life where, or that was the moment in my life where I said, I'm not going to choose drinking over Jesus again. I'm not going to let that happen again. So my birthday rolls around the next year. Um, and we're going out. I'd had a couple of drinks. And someone comes over with a tray of shots and puts it on the table. And in that moment, I had the choice to choose Jesus or to go down that path again. And by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I was able to choose Jesus that time. And that was quite significant because it represented something that I hadn't been able to do before. And it was quite a significant time. And that was to choose Jesus with um, one of my vices, with one of the things that I tripped up on a lot. And we, a lot of us will be faced with those decisions regularly or daily where the temptation comes, whatever, it, whatever, it, whatever form it takes, whether it's porn, whether it's relationships, whether it's sex, whether it's gossip, whether it's talking uh, smack about someone to their face or behind their back to make yourself feel better or to fit in or to look good or be funny or whatever it is. And we have, those, we have that moment where we can either choose to follow Jesus, where we either choose Jesus or we choose that thing and we submit to something else. And I'm not, I'm not going here to condemn, I'm not going here to shame because that is not of God. Conviction is from God and conviction always, it's always calling us to something higher. It's always trying to make us bigger whereas shame and condemnation, they try and make us smaller and squash us. I'm not going here for that reason. But I am saying that this is actually, these decisions are serious. And it's a serious thing where when we don't choose Jesus in a situation and we choose to submit to and bow down to something else. And of course there is grace. Of course we believe in the God of endless chances after chance after chance after chance. He is merciful and gracious beyond our understanding. Jesus knows what it is like to be tempted. He was tempted with every temptation, yet he chose to follow the Father in each of those decisions. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we can do that. We can't make these choices on our own. We need to allow the Spirit to work in us. Jesus knows what it is like to have those choices, to choose the way of God or to choose not to. He knows what it is like. He knows our pain. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this is a serious thing to choose God or not to in these situations. We always have a choice. We have the power of choice in this. Other decisions that we have are less in this category of black and white. Other decisions we have aren't necessarily like we are um, overtly denying God or choosing something else when we're not, we're not necessarily faced with a decision that is as black and white, this and that or that. And I think this is where a lot of our decisions might sit um, on a day-to-day -day basis. 
But nevertheless, we still, um, with these sorts of decisions that are a bit more nuanced, that are a bit more gray, we have the opportunity, still the same, to either choose God, to choose more of him, to choose to give more of ourselves to him, or to give less, or to choose him less, or to submit to something else. And this could look like offering to pray for a friend who has just shared something with you that they're struggling with. And in that moment, you can either choose to pray for them and introduce faith into the conversation, or you can choose not to. This might look like choosing to spend time with God, time with Jesus to process something that's specifically going on instead of going to Netflix or Insta or Facebook Marketplace and scrolling down. It could look like choosing Jesus in that moment. It could look like standing up for God uh, in your workplace or, or with your family or friends or your peers. Like this story of a, uh, a girl that I... Um, I had this story of a girl, a student, a scientist student, and she was in a big lecture hall. And the lecturer uh, played a clip of a Christian film about creation. When the clip's, clip finished, he started laying into it. He started ripping it apart and tearing apart the faith, mocking Christianity, mocking the people who believed it. And in that moment, she had, she had the decision to make whether she stood up for God stood up for her faith or not to. And even though she was crying and she was trembling because she was so nervous, she stood up and she said to the lecturer, I actually believe that faith that you're tearing apart. She chose to stand up for God rather than let fear of what people think determine her choices. Choosing God in these situations might look like giving generously after a prompt to someone or something rather than buying the next, rather than saving that extra bit or buying a new sofa or TVs or garden furniture or whatever it looks like. It could look like choosing generosity and sacrificing something else. And with all these decisions that are more gray and a bit more nuanced, what we need is wisdom and we need to know and ask ourselves why we're making the decisions that we are. Would we choose Netflix and to switch off on Instagram because we're trying to disengage or we're trying to avoid processing something with God? Would we choose not to stand up for our faith in a lecture hall where the lecturer is tearing it apart because we're scared of what people might think of us? Would we choose not to give generously because we want uh, an extra bit of financial security or we think we might be happier if we bought that thing? Would we choose not to pray for our friend because it might bring awkwardness and tension to the relationship? And this is challenging for me too. And what I want to ask myself in these situations is, how can I choose Jesus in this situation? How can I choose more of God in this situation? What does it look like to choose Jesus in this decision that I'm about to make? We need to discern in these decisions what the Holy Spirit is saying. Sometimes Netflix, great. Sometimes Instagram, brilliant. Sometimes, um, sometimes you know, saving isn't bad. Buying things is not bad. The girl, she wouldn't have 
been denying God necessarily if she did not stand up to her lecturer. But there's, there's an opportunity to miss. And if she chose to submit to fear then, rather than courage and faith, then it may not have been a good decision. How can we choose Jesus in the decisions that we're making each day? And choosing Jesus for these, uh, these three lads, it meant their physical death. And they did go, they got thrown into the furnace. And we're going to find out what happens to them in a bit. You probably, well, you might know the story already. But they did. It cost them their physical lives. And while we're not heavily persecuted here in the West and in the UK, particularly for our faith, but choosing Jesus does mean that we die to ourselves more. It means dying to self to choose Jesus. Choosing Jesus, while it can often mean that we uh, choose to go against our immediate desires in that moment, choosing Jesus means that we choose life. We choose life in all its fullness. I'm not proposing now that we make like the most boring, sucky decisions. I'm saying that actually when we choose Jesus, we're choosing fulfilled life. And when we choose Jesus, we are choosing to have more of him. We make space for more of him in our lives, which as Christians, that needs to be our desire. It needs to be our desire to have more of him, to know him more deeply, to worship him more deeply, to be led into deeper freedom as we choose him and lay down the things that, that hold us back from that. So these are, these are good decisions that we're making when we choose Jesus. So these lads chose the furnace. They chose God. Uh, and um, so they're in the furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar, as soon as they say this, he just flies into even more of a rage. I don't know how someone could get more angry, but says that his face was distorted with rage. Have you ever been that angry? I've not been that angry. My face doesn't really change, um, <laughs> even if I'm fuming with rage. Anyway. He throws them into, so he throws them into furnace, has them bound, has the furnace heated seven times hotter than it normally is, throws them in, and then this happened. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. So someone's in the fire with them. And Nebuchadnezzar says that this uh, being looks like a son of the gods. And some people say that this was the pre-incarnate Jesus who was with them. Other people say that it wasn't. Basically, we can't be sure that it was the pre-incarnate Jesus with them. What we do know is that it was some sort of supernatural being in the fire, sustaining their life. And what this passage tells us, whether this was Jesus there or not, is that when we choose God, whatever the consequences are, 
is that when we choose him, he goes with us through the fire. He goes with us through those consequences. And I would extend this out, actually, this promise of God with us out to any form of suffering and any form of trial that we go with us. When we go through suffering uh, or pain or, or any sort of brokenness, if we have, you know, whatever it looks like, Jesus, God, is with us in the fire. He won't necessarily keep us from trial. He won't keep us from suffering and pain, but that does not mean that he has abandoned us and has left us left us there for good. Love that picture that Henneke shared, which I think was from Megan. It was like Jesus is with them in the storm. Jesus is with us in the fire as we go through it. Isaiah 7:14 says the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was a prophecy about Jesus. And do you know what Emmanuel means? God is with us. He is with us. This is who Jesus Jesus was. Jesus embodied God being with us. God being with us through trial, through suffering, whatever that looks like. And this is the hope. That is where hope comes into this story. When we choose him, He goes through the fire with us. He sustains our life in the fire and ensures that we are kept safe, ensures that we are are untouched. Jesus, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew 28, he sends them off to go and make disciples. And then he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we choose Jesus, he is with us. So with that hope, with the knowledge that we know he is with us in the consequences when we go through the fire, I want to invite us now to uh, ask ourselves and ask Jesus what it looks like to choose him in the decisions that we make each day. What does it look like to choose Jesus for you? And what I want to do in a second is I want to invite um, people to come to the front and kneel. And um, kneeling, I want to do that specifically if you're able to kneel because that is uh, a sign of surrender. And it is exactly what um, the boys didn't do with the the Babylonian statue. They They decided not to kneel and bow down to that, but they bowed down to God whom they served. So I want to invite people to come and kneel at the front. If they, if they want to choose Jesus over any other thing in their life that it might look like. Now this could be a first time decision. If you want to choose Jesus for the first time over something else. It could be that God has been highlighting something specific to you where um, you may not have been choosing him or where you feel that particular draw or temptation not to choose him. It could be that and you want to make a stand and say, Jesus, I choose to bow down to you. I choose to worship you in this situation. Or it could be that you just generally want to um, make that statement once again. Jesus, I choose you over every other thing that might tempt me, over any other thing that might come your way, I will not deny you, I will worship you. So if any of those three are you, I'd like you, I'd like to invite you to come to the front and just take a knee, if you're able to. Um, if you can't, then come and, and sit or stand or whatever it looks like. Uh, I'm gonna do it as well. 
Yeah, and then we'll just pray together, invite God to come and speak to us and see what happens. So if that is you, if you'd like to come and choose Jesus, whatever that looks like, come now. And if you um, haven't come to the front at all, but um, you want to stand with these guys who are making that decision, you might want to come and uh, just uh, lay a hand on their back um, and just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak. So you're very welcome to come and do that if you'd like to. Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak to us. We invite your presence here in Jesus. I thank you for these guys who have chosen you today. Whatever that might look like for them, whatever situation they're here for, bowing the knee to you. Jesus, I thank you for their courage. Thank you for their faith. And Holy Spirit, it is only by your power at work in us that we uh, can make these decisions to choose you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill us. to help us to choose, to lead us into greater freedom as we make that decision to follow you. invite the spirit to speak if you want to thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org/media